welcome to episode number 38 of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Miller. My guest today is Kat Armstrong. I just love my conversation with Kat as we talked about what it means for a woman to love the Lord with all of her heart, soul, strength, and mind. She shares her journey of feeling called to seminary and the challenges she faced in a culture where women's roles are often limited. We also talk about the message of our new book, No More Holding Back, where Kat encourages women to be all in for Jesus. Kat, thank you so much for joining me today for the podcast. I really appreciate you giving up your time. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be on the show today. I know we don't have a lot of time, so I want to just jump in. Can you just give a quick introduction about yourself, family, where you live, all of those kind of basics? Oh, sure. Well, I have one son. His name's Caleb. He's in first grade. He's six years old. And just talking about him made me have a teeth smile. I am smiling with teeth. I just love talking about Caleb Armstrong. He just came to faith in Christ this summer. And so we're just all kind of on a high from that, watching his faith bloom this summer. Um, I'm married to Aaron, who is one of my heroes in the faith. We've been married for 17 years, and we are insistent that our love affair is because of our weekly date night. We just really prioritize our weekly date night and have for almost two decades. It's nuts. Um, that's, that's awesome, and, he, and that's not an easy task huh, to well, prioritize yeah, it. Especially when you're poor and tired and <laughs> yeah, uh, stressed out, and there we have lots and lots of years of date nights where we would share a burrito, um, for $6 and that would be it. Um, but yeah, we, so we've been married for 17 years, been dating for almost 19 and he is the lead pastor at Dallas Bible church in Richardson, Texas. So I am technically a pastor's wife. And I say technically because I, I don't feel like I, I fill the traditional role I grew up seeing as a pastor's wife. Um, because I'm, I have my own ministry called Polished, and we gather young professional women to navigate career and explore faith together. And the way we do that through Polished Ministries is we host um, local events all over the nation where, you know, 40, 50, 60 women gather and talk about how to integrate their faith um, into their work. And we primarily reach women in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who feel disconnected from God, maybe far away from a local church, um, or maybe just a little disillusioned about who Jesus is and why his people seem to be so hypocritical. And so we talk about all of those hard things at Polished. And then we've got the Polished podcast that I'm the host of. And um, so you put all those things together, plus being an author and speaker, I really have my own identity outside of being Aaron's pastor's wife. Um, right. But I sure do love being in ministry, and he and I, we're, we're doing the same thing, just in different contexts. Um, we're both just running hard after Jesus. Which I love, and you are just such a, an example to women of how that can be done, that you don't have to be in this backseat role to bringing people to Jesus. So you're such an example to that. And that's what I want to talk about today, your story that led you there to start your own ministry, to write a book, and then we'll get into your book a little bit more, which is just so fantastic. So tell me your story growing up. Were you raised in the church? When did you first encounter Jesus? And that started just to kind of, um, you know, that yearning started to go in your heart to be, to be um, a woman that just loved Jesus. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I grew up going to church, but not regularly that I can remember. And I wasn't going to a church where I remember Jesus really being the center of the conversation. And that's not to say that it wasn't. I just didn't pick up that vibe the way I did later in life after I came to faith in Christ. So um, I would say that my parents were probably cultural Christians, maybe, as I was growing up. I mean, I think they both had somewhat of a faith, but I think it became real after we all put our faith in Christ um, when I was about 16 years old. And so they put me in a private school. It was a Christian school. I was hearing the gospel on a regular basis in a way that I hadn't heard it at church. And so I came to faith actually through a young professional woman. So the irony is that I've devoted the last two decades of my life ministering to young professional women. And I think that there's um, some sacred history there with me because I came to faith because of a choir teacher and a cheerleading coach both of whom were really in tune with the um, the life I was making for myself as a teenager, which was really focused on accomplishments and ambition, things that haven't left me as a person. They're still a part of my story. But I, I know at that age, you, you can almost put your whole identity into what you're accomplishing and performance. And so I was very performance-driven, and so I was getting applause and accolades in school and leadership. But behind the scenes, my choir teacher and cheerleading coach started noticing that that could lead to a life where I found all my value in those accomplishments. And so they started talking to me about grace and how we live in a really karma-filled world where you get what you deserve and you don't get what you don't deserve. But God operates outside of that reality and he implements grace in our lives. So through the person of Jesus, we can get what we don't deserve. And I remember thinking, what? I mean, they didn't, they didn't use those words. Those words actually were given to me later through one of my spiritual mentors, Glenn Kreider. But at the time, I remember understanding, oh, I need this grace thing because I won't always be able to reach my goals. Um, and so that's kind of how I came to faith. And I love that, that it was two women that weren't, you know, in official ministries that taught you that and led you there. And it just shows how we can all be used by Christ. So that's a very cool story. So tell me, I know in your book, you talk about also another person that really was just an encouragement and inspiration to you, which is so neat, was Beth Moore. So you actually in high school sat in some of her Bible studies? Yeah. So she saw, she taught a Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. Okay at Houston First Baptist Church. And she did it for a real long time. And I, I, I would have to check with one of her daughters to figure out the dates on that. But I remember, um, I can't remember if it was John Durham, the youth pastor at the time or someone in his ministry, but I remember coming to them and saying, I'm a brand new Christian and I just, I can't get enough of the Bible. All I wanna do is read the Bible. I'm so hyped about everything I'm reading. It's all new you know, where do I start? And I don't know who it was that said, there's a really Southern lady with really Southern hair that goes to our church and she teaches a Sunday school class and she goes line by line to talk through the Bible. And I remember thinking, that's what I need. 
that's what I need. I need to go to this lady's class. So I didn't, I didn't understand how her influence was growing beyond the walls of Houston First Baptist Church. I just knew that I wanted to learn more about the Bible and that she might be a good person to teach me. And so I started sneaking into her class. Um, and there were, I think by the time I went to college, there was like 600, 700 people in her Sunday school class. Um, yeah. And they were all adults, but I would sit in the back. I would sneak in as a teenager and I was either a junior or senior in high school. And I remember thinking, I want to read everything she's reading. I want to study everything she's studying. And she would send us home with hole punched um, front and back notes that she would print out for class. And they had fill in the blanks. They had end notes with the resources she was doing her research on. And I remember I would just treasure, treasure those handouts. So that so, yeah, was even she was, before I guess, she, my Sunday school yeah, before she even had like her official Bible studies that we all know today, you were one of her first students. I, you know, I don't, I don't know the timing on all that. I don't know when she started writing curriculum and writing Bible studies. And I know she'd been teaching the Bible for a long time, even as a fitness instructor at the church, she would infuse yeah. scripture teaching into her aerobics classes. Um, so I'm not sure how all the timing worked out. I just remember, you know, before I went to college, approaching her after class and just saying, you know, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go to college because I won't have your class anymore. And what do I do? And that's when she really encouraged me to go to seminary after college. And I did end up going to seminary and I really do attribute all of that to Beth. (laughs) Wow. And so that's, I wrote down, um, I highlight that in your book because you talk about that she was your encouragement, but you went home to tell your parents and was that kind of your first like realization that maybe some people thought that wasn't okay for women? Did you already kind of have that in your gut or were you surprised at like your dad's reaction? Yeah, I wasn't, I was surprised at my dad's reaction, but it was really instructive because it was my first reaction too. When Beth said, you should think about going to seminary, I remember my first question to her and maybe my only question, well, first of all, it was like, what's seminary? I'd never heard of it. Okay. And she explained, well, it's graduate school to study the Bible. And once we got past that, I said, are girls allowed to go? Okay. And she said, of course they are. And so I think that at a very early age, as a brand new believer, I already had somewhere in my belief system, and I'm not sure where it came from, um, that this wasn't, women weren't supposed to go to seminary. So I rushed home. I'm on cloud nine because I've made this huge life decision without consulting my parents, without even going to college, that I am going to go to graduate school to study the Bible called seminary. And I didn't even know where any of them were. I just said, they're just going to go to a seminary, okay, <laughs> wherever those places are. And um, when I got home and told my dad, I remember him just saying something to the effect of, what are you talking about? I mean, I mean, first he tried to talk me out of like, hey, you need to think about college first before you get into grad school. Like, let's, let's see how you do in your undergraduate studies. And second of all, we want you to get a degree that you can actually get paid for and use. And I remember him going through a list and then finally getting to the same question. He said, do they let women go to mm-hmm. seminary? And I remember telling him, dad, that's exactly what I asked Beth. I had that same question and she told me yes. And so, so we're good to um, go, dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I remember him being a little, um, 
it wasn't though he was unhappy for me. He was just, he wanted the best for me. And he, he thought that wouldn't be a viable career path. Um, and in some ways he was right. There have been a lot of challenges I faced as a, a woman who, with leadership skills and, uh, and Bible knowledge and now a seminary degree. And then almost 12 years in full-time ministry running my own organization it has been a challenge. And is that, do you feel like all of the, that combined, I'm sure, is what led you to write your book, No More Holding Back, um, that just released a couple months ago. So I'm guessing all these experiences is what God just stirred in your heart to write this book? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it was personal experience, and then it was me kind of doing a little digging and figuring out why why was my first question to Beth Moore, can girls go to seminary? Why was my dad's first real question, do they allow women to go? And why did I feel insecure about that? And the closer it got to go to seminary, the more afraid I became. What if I learned too much? What if I outlearned some of my male peers in at church? What if, um, what if? And right. it, there was this moment in a class, I, I took a seminary class, um, with Dr. Allman, who's amazing. And he asked the question that day, what do we think about women learning about Jesus? And in a moment of insanity, I raised my hand and said, I'm actually afraid to learn too much about Jesus because I'm a woman. And I started to process, you know, in, in my brain, how ridiculous that must sound because I'm an image bearer of God, but I didn't have a lot of time to process why I was afraid because one of my students in class, a male peer turned around and started yelling at me. And he said, just stop, just stop. You can learn too much about Jesus because you are a woman. And then he went on to describe that the reason I could learn too much about Jesus as a woman is because when I do, I become a threat to the local church and a threat to the institution of marriage. And every time I tell the story, people are like, who is this guy? Like, where is he now? What's his name? And I don't know his name. He's not really the point. The point of the story that, that led to me writing the book, No More Holding Back, is that he said, wor he yelled words at me that were so off-putting. But it, I realized in that moment, he and I share the same beliefs, I was yeah. afraid that I could learn too much about Jesus and he was afraid. And if we're being if we're being I could honest learn too much about Jesus and I think it took him yelling. Yeah. And if we're being honest, I mean he was yelling what so many of us really do believe or so many males or the misconceptions that we've been taught. So yes, it's awful he yelled that and said it, but if we're being honest, we others have that same belief. Yeah, that was a harsh reality for me when I go, oh my gosh, he and I believe the same thing. I don't want to be like that guy. Like the way he said it and how he said it and what he said, that doesn't, that cannot be true. And I realized that I believe the same thing he does. And so my book is a deep dive into the greatest commandment in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, when Jesus says to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I started to realize that the reason I was afraid women could learn too much about Jesus, the reason I was afraid to go to seminary and to apply my leadership skills to the local church body, because I thought loving God with my heart and soul was women's work. And I thought loving God with my mind and strength was men's work. I don't know how I ended up with a gendered greatest commandment, because it says it as clear as day that we're supposed to love Jesus with our all. 
but I had made it up in my mind that there were things only guys could do and only women could do. And I don't think the scripture supports that. Absolutely. And I love how you break that down because that really just puts it out there that the greatest commandment is not gender inclusive um, and we're supposed to do all of these things. And one of your quotes, you say to get an entire gender and easy about loving God with all of our heart, souls, mind, and strength, we can see how our enemy effectively sidelines women. And that is so true. And just you laying it out there just, um, just really makes it clear. So your book starts out with um, five messages that you think are holding women back, which I would totally agree with. And I'm sure they're ones that you've seen and experienced. Which one of those messages do you feel like you've wrestled the most with? Maybe tell us the five messages or lies. And then which one do you think has been the hardest for you to overcome? Yeah. Um, I think probably the one that's hardest for me to overcome was learning that women are, can be trusted to learn and lead. And so I do a deep dive in that chapter about some misogynistic early church father beliefs that we have in Christianity. And it's totally okay to admit that some of our early church fathers didn't get every single thing right, because we're not getting every single thing right in our faith and how to apply it and how to interpret the scriptures. And so we, we are, so dependent upon our early church fathers and mothers and how they interpreted the scriptures to understand truth. We also have the Holy Spirit to help us discern when they made mistakes. And certainly we can look at Tertullian and Origen and Athanasius and all many, many of our church fathers that had significant impact on what we believe that spoke about women in derogatory, straight up demeaning terms that suggested our we, we didn't have as big of brains, that we were faulty to our core, that we were the devil's gateway, that we're the reason the whole world is broken, that the fall of mankind rests completely on our, like, our guilty shoulders, that we are easily deceived, um, that we're susceptible to things that men are not in a, in a sinful way. And we can all agree that those are all wrong, that God made women in the image of God, that he has given us all the capabilities that men have um, mentally and spiritually to love him with our all. And while we could debate church offices and roles and titles and where those lines are in church service and leadership, we cannot argue with the scriptures, undeniable value of women in a culture that did not value them. And God's seemingly like... uh, just he's so relentless in the scriptures to elevate women and their voices and their leadership skills and to position them in places of authority and significant uh, significant roles and so I had to go back and really unearth some what I call theological weeds they were just weeds in my soul and I think they were partly my insecurity of being too much to handle Um, in a world that may not value my giftings. And then I think it also had to do with some exterior messages the church was perpetuating. And one of them is that women can't be trusted to learn and lead because they're more easily deceived than men. And so what I do in the book is I compare Eve from Genesis and Mary Magdalene from John chapter 20. And I show how those two stories are connected and how Eve was easily deceived, and how Mary Magdalene obeyed Jesus. She was commissioned by him to go and tell her brothers that he had risen from the dead. 
And in his commissioning, in his revelation to her, she becomes the first person to see Jesus risen from the dead, the first person to herald the gospel, the first preacher woman to deliver the gospel news, um, and to preach a sermon that caused people to go and see for themselves that, yeah, Jesus, Jesus was Messiah. Yeah, I love that example. It's so powerful. I mean, literally, she's the first one to bring the, the gospel message. And your book is full of so many women, um, examples of women that in the Bible that we've kind of undervalued, overlooked, um, but just how powerful they were and how Jesus used them despite of time of women being of no value and oppressed, um, which I just, I just love. So talking about like being... Um, Oh, being deceived and not being trusted. I know one of the hot, hot button verses that's been, um, oh, it's, it's not always been interpreted correctly that I would love to talk about is the first Timothy two eleven, um, which we could go all over the place mm-hmm. with that, but I would love just to get your, I don't know, more clarity on that one for women that may have heard it wrong, not heard it wrong, been taught differently, or maybe been less empowered by that verse. Um, and I'll read the verse really quick, and then we can, you can, I'll let you just dive into it a little bit. So let it, Paul says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Do not permit a woman to preach or to have authority over a man, but to be silenced. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgressions. So there's lots of parts to that verse, the woman being silent, um, submissive. How do you, how do you wrestle and make sense of that? <laughs> well, <laughs> You're like, how and, long do we have? Yeah, I love I you know, uh, for going there. I, I have I know. to. I mean, we, I have a lot of need... on my notes, but with the time frame, I'm like, I just got to go to that one with her because I want to know. I wrestle with that one still. Yeah, I think it's really, really difficult um, passage. And so I think for some, they're going to go, what's difficult about it? It says what it says. It means what it means. Like, you know, if we take a literal interpretation of the, of the Bible, if, if it says what it means and it means what it says, then we obey it, you know, and it says clearly, I think I hear a lot of people talk that talk about how clear this passage is. And to me, it is not clear at all. And what's most disturbing about this pericope, which is just essentially a section of scripture, at the end of that pericope is verse 15. And we never, ever hear that verse when we hear the first Timothy 12, first uh, Timothy chapter two, verse 12 quoted. Nobody ever gets there. You didn't even get there. And I do it all the time. But verse 15 in that pericope is that women will be saved through childbearing if Mm -hmm. they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense is in my HCSB version, I think. And you know, that's so interesting because when I wrote it down, I was going to write that, but I'm like, I've never really even been taught that part of it. So I don't know. Do we even go into that? So that is such an interesting point. So I think, I just think that verse is very troubling as a woman. Um, now that I've been in ministry for 20 years, two women only, I know that the statistics are true. Close to 30% of women are struggling with infertility and many of them want to have um, children of their own. They want to have, you know, bear a child, but they cannot. And so you start to think about this verse, if it means what it means, and it says what it says, quite literally, that women are saved through childbearing. That word saved is used many times in the New Testament to talk about salvation in Jesus. So you got to think, what is Paul saying here? And ultimately, you've got to come down to, we use common sense and the Holy Spirit and hundreds of years of theology to interpret verse 15. We know that women are not saved through childbearing. They're saved through grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. 
Um, So we know that. So when we read verse 15, we immediately know not to take it, quote, literally. We, We should apply it for what it means. And so that is how I interpret um, everything in the Bible. Uh, It's not that I don't take things literally. Very often I do like to love your neighbor as yourself. I take that better, very literally. But in a passage that so clearly has allusions to things that are going on in the, in that context, in the culture of that day, that's when I have to step back and go, okay, so what are the timeless truths here? I think a timeless truth would be Childbearing is very important and women being the instrument of that is important. And I think a lot of people would join me in interpreting that verse as it probably is talking about Mary, the mother of God, Mary of Nazareth, giving birth to Jesus and how through the birth of Christ, Mm -hmm. we all can receive salvation when we have faith in him. So it could be that. It could be that the, the worship of Artemis in the city of Ephesus in the first century that she was a goddess worshiped for her ability to help women deliver their children safely. And she was considered the fertility God. So maybe it's an allusion to that. I'm not sure. Truthfully, I just am not sure about verse 15. And so that helps me go back through the passage and realize that, um, this may not have been a admonition for all time for all churches to do everywhere. It may have been, there was something specific going on where we know that women in Ephesus were extremely disruptive and not aligning themselves with the, with the spirit of Christ. And so maybe it was that. So truthfully, I don't know. I mean, I could tell you, we could, I could tell you the 16 books I've read on first Timothy chapter two, (laughs) and I could give you a list that you can put in the show notes Um, I've listened to every podcast there is out there, but I can say this, that there are godly, brilliant, humble complementarians and egalitarians out there that interpret this passage differently. None of them lessen the value of scripture. None of them want to misapply it. And all of us are unsure if we're right. Even the ones who are like, we're a hundred percent sure they're not actually sure. Right. I think, I mean, that's, that's all so good because I'm like you, I've wrestled with it and I've read a lot about it. We moved to the Bible Belt five years ago and it's been just a way different environment here than up north. And um, it's really made me dig into that scripture as well. But I think what it comes down to, it's if you're looking at the, like you, we talked about earlier, if you're looking at the greatest commandment to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, which, how does that play in? We surely don't want to use that that verse to hold women back and not to speak and do the greatest commandment. So um, like you said, we can wrestle with a lot mm-hmm. on that, but I think it being used to oppress women is not the intent of Paul. Not, not at all. And then we see in several of his other epistles and New Testament writings that, that women were not silent. <laughs> so right. there's two different places in the New Testament where it gets confusing about that, but we had women prophesying, prophesying in the local context, certainly leading they were co-planting churches like Lydia in Acts chapter 16. So, I mean, we, we can just give you, I could give you a laundry list of, even if you just turn to Romans chapter 16 and you look up all the names that Paul affirms as his co-laborers in the gospel, it's chock full of women. I mean, there's so many, you don't know it's women because the names are so weird, but there are women leaders that are leading alongside of him shoulder to shoulder in this work. And, you know, if we like the book of Romans, we have Phoebe to thank. She's the one who read the letter to the church in Rome. Um, So there's just so many things that you go, okay, 
I'm taking the whole counsel of scripture. I will not take one verse and let it inform every single thing else that I read in, unless I'm willing to let all the other scriptures inform it as well. And so while, while first Timothy two twelve becomes a proof text for many people, um, for me, it took me back to Genesis and it took me back to Eve and it took me to John chapter 20. And what we see is that there's liberation for women over and over and over. And so I, you know, I don't usually talk about what camp I'm in or any of that because I, I will elevate the great commandment over any other text. And we could argue whether that's good hermeneutics or not. And I could be wrong, but I'm going to take Jesus and what he said in that verse, that this is the most important thing we could do. And so instead of wondering, can I do this or that in a church? Instead, I'm thinking, am I loving God with my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Amen. Yeah, we could we could end right there. I mean, yes, I, I yeah. absolutely. And that's why I really I want women to read this book, because it's not about we can get so divisive over women in leadership or women pastoring men. But really, we, we got to look past that and get down to what did Jesus ask of us? Um, and the empowerment that your book and the encouragement is just so, so rich. So let's go into, um, I'd love to dig into you with all the different messages and myths uh, or lies that hold women back. But since we're kind of talking about the, since we are talking about the greatest commandment and the strength issue, how, um, let's just dive into that one a little bit. And it kind of goes along with your chapter two of being too much, which was probably my favorite. I have a 16 year old daughter that is really wrestling with that right now and is flat out said to me, she feels like she's too much because she's very passionate about Jesus and loving those in the margins. Um, but she feels like she's too much in the Bible Belt. So this chapter her and I even looked at together. And so I want to talk about how that plays in with like loving Jesus with all your strength. Um, and one of the questions you said is how strong is too strong for a Jesus follower? And mm -hmm. it's like, why do we even have that question? But we do as women. So dive into that one a little bit for me. Yeah, we do question it, don't we? I mean, and it's, if it's, if your 16 year old daughter is questioning it, I just met with a 78 year old church mother and I say church mother. I mean, someone who has just been loving Jesus their whole life mm -hmm. and mothers me at our local church. I met with a 78 year old woman who had so many pages of my book tapped, underlined, circled, and she mm -hmm. sobbed and she said, my whole life, I have wondered why I am too much, <sighs> why I am too strong. And I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody else to take the lead. And it's, I'm getting choked up and I usually don't do that on podcasts. Okay, but I, I am starting to get teared up too, because this is a issue. I mean, this is a thing and this is, oh, it's heavy. This, this is, and I wish, I wish that all of our male church leaders, all of our leaders in industry and business, all men everywhere would hear this, would hear the daughters of the church in a collective lament saying, some of us feel like we don't belong here and we don't fit. And um, that is a major problem. If a 16-year-old and a 78-year-old are saying the same thing, then this is super pervasive. It's super deep. And it's gotten a, a hold on us. Um, I think for women who have a strong personality, prophetic leanings, sharp convictions, leadership skills, any of that, we have been made to feel that we are lesser than our sisters in Christ who are meek and quiet um, and, and passive. And the thing is the body of Christ was designed so that all of us could flourish. And so when we, when I start talking about strong women as if they are better 
than someone who is passive or meek or peaceable. That is not my intent. So my goal is to elevate all women, irregardless of their personality type, their Enneagram number, like any of that stuff. But there's a specific problem I address in the book about strong women. And I talk about um, some of the wackadoodle things I've heard from women tell me I got, had one woman approach me and say, you know, I've got a scholarship to go to seminary, but my small group, two guys in my small group said I shouldn't go because if I go, I'll be hard to date because I'll know more about the Bible than my potential male suitors. And then I'll never get married. I had another girl approach me and say, um, she's this catalytic um, evangelist machine. I mean, she just like brings people to faith all the time. She's been in ministry and she approached me and just said, I'm, I'm, so sad. I just took the strength finders test and I am an activator. And I'm like, what's the problem? What's That's great, the, great. Right. We need activators in the body of Christ as much as we need um, passive people who are willing to do what the activators may not be willing to do. We need both. And she said, well, but if I'm an activator, how am I going to be passive? And if I'm not passive, how am I going to submit? And if I can't submit, how can I be a good wife? And how, you know, I'm like, wow, how did we get from (laughs) the strength fighters activator attribute to you'll never have a successful marriage? Wow. How did we get there? And so I think we struggle to see Miriam leading the worship service after they cross the Red Sea elevated to the same status as her brothers, Moses and Aaron. I think we struggle to see the prophetesses like Hodla guarding the temple scrolls and being the person Jesus built the law upon. I mean, the New Testament says that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, and there were prophetesses as a part of that. I think we fail to see Deborah's that wield a, sh- a sword that rule a whole nation that judge fairly. Yeah, we absolutely do. I mean, and that's why I think if you're looking at like, oh, this book, I don't know if I can relate because I don't really have a, I feel like I can be all I am in Christ, but we need to look at too our daughters and those who are mentoring and how they are being raised feeling. And it's important for us to know these things and be empowered as we mentor the next generation. Um, So I think this book is for every woman because of that. I know I appreciate so much you putting that chapter in there because like I said, it really spoke to me and was one that I could go back to my daughter with. And the timing of her, it was a couple weeks ago that she just broke down to me saying she's too much. And I remember even that afternoon just crying because I thought I want to, I have two daughters. I want to raise strong daughters. And why is that a bad thing to be like too much is not Mm -hmm. bad. You can't be too much for Christ. He's made you and you've got to be all you all in for him. Um, so I just appreciate so much that chapter, um, especially all of them are fantastic, but I think that one is just such a barrier for women. And I appreciate it so much. That makes my heart sing. I'm so glad. Well, I will, we're, I know we have to wrap up here shortly, but I do want to read one more quote because I actually took a picture of this one and sent it to my daughter yesterday and another friend. Um, but it, it's, it's at the end of your chapter on strength. And it says, she's a strong woman. It should be a compliment, not a warning in our faith communities because God gives strength and power to all his people. None of us can be too strong in the Lord. It's the difference between thinking we need to simmer down and knowing we need to power up. In Jesus' name, let's power up. And I thought, yes. 
that is what I center and that is what I want for our daughters and the next generation um, of women. So thank you for that. Really does make my heart sing. <laughs> ah, well, good. I mean, and that's part of like your your whole Polish network is like getting women on board and realizing they can be business owners and strong women and still love the Lord and serve the Lord. Um, so we we could keep talking, but I know you have to run here shortly. Um, one of my most favorite, and like that seventy eight year old woman, my book is so highlighted and marked up, <laughs> marked up too. Um, one of the pages that I loved, and I would love it if you would just read it and end on this because um, I thought, gosh, this, if we could strive for this, this is what it's about. So one of the pages, it's entitled, This Is Us. So would you mind just ending reading those three paragraphs, starting of Let's Be the Kind of Women and end with um, Daughters of the Church? Let's be the kind of women known for our character. When people talk about us, may they say that we protect the people who need an advocate, that we are a stronghold and a shield to those who need a buffer from pain and suffering. And when people talk about us, may they say that we are always sticking up for people, speaking up for the voiceless, saying, staying strong for the powerless. And in the marketplace, we champion our coworkers. At home, we uphold the people we love. And in society, we build up everyone. As far as it's up to us, let's be women who fearlessly welcome refugees, generously meet the needs of vulnerable, and confuse our enemies with kindness. Because when our name pops up into someone's head, we want to be known as the ones you can always count on for giving a helping hand. Helpers, this is us. The outcasts and the outsiders are our people. And if you mess with the marginalized, you mess with us. The warrior women fashioned to reign. The enemy will have to go through us before hijacking the next generation. And forces of darkness will have to face us on the battlefield when the gospel work gets dangerous. And we are up for the challenge because we are the daughters of the church. Awesome. Thank you. So powerful, Kat. And I just encourage every woman to get your book and read it. Um, you also have a Bible study that goes along with it. And if you go to your website, you have some other resources. So tell us where you can be found and we will put that also on the show notes. Yes. Go to catarmstrong.com and click on the book link and you can watch my book trailer. You can get a free prayer guide. Um, you can purchase a book right there. You just the Bible study and the DVDs. Um, and I would just love to hear from people. So if they go and follow me on Instagram, Cat Armstrong one, I am on Instagram all the time and love answering people's requests and talking with them. Okay. And then will they also be able to find information on Polish on your website or is that a separate website? Either or if you go to catarmstrong.com, there's a whole polished website within a website. So you can find our podcast, how to get involved, how to start a chapter in your area, how to be a part of our network. All of it's on my website. It's catarmstrong.com. Okay, perfect. Well, we will put that link on the show notes. Kat, thank you so much for joining me today. I just appreciate you and your voice um, and just the encouragement and inspiration you are to women. Thank you so much. I hope Kat's story and message has encouraged you to live your life to love and serve God as your first and highest calling. If you know another woman who could use this message and encouragement, please share the show with her. And if you like the podcast and haven't left a review on iTunes, I sure appreciate it. The more reviews the show has, the more easily it is for listeners to find. As always, the link to purchase Kat's new book and where to connect with Kat can be found on the Her Story Speaks website at www.herstoryspeaks.com.